Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Dr. Lisa Williams, CEO and founder of World of EPI LLC. And that's a company that creates inclusive dolls that show the beauty of every child. I want to tell you just a little bit about Lisa first. She has taken a really interesting uh, career path. Um, She has a PhD in marketing and supply chain management from the Ohio State University. And then she became an assistant and an associate professor at Penn State University, and then came to the University of Arkansas as professor and Orrin Harris chair in logistics from 1999 to 2003. And then here's where she took an unusual turn. She started her own business. There are very few professors endowed professors, especially full professors with an endowed chair who give up tenure, give it all up and start their own business. She moved from Fayetteville, Arkansas to San Diego, California and started this doll business, which is extremely successful now. And I want to talk to Dr. Lisa about that. So thank you for joining me today. It is truly my pleasure. Lisa, you're path is really neat and unusual. I think it reflects the courage that you have to be able to, you know, leave a full professor position that was endowed. You you gave it up and started your own business and moved to San Diego, which has a high cost of living. <laughs> you went you went from a, a really steady income with a low cost of living to an uncertain income with a high cost of living and you succeeded. But First of all, I'd like to back up a minute. What got you interested in starting this business? Well, uh, let me say that one is so, it feels so good to be back to the University of Arkansas, even if virtually. And secondly, to say thank you for saying that it was courageous to leave my position. Some would say it was pure insanity. <laughs> but, <laughs> because you're right, it made absolutely no logical sense to leave a full professorship with an endowed chair where I'm working, what, two or three days a week, all summers off and, you know, getting to travel the world and work on research that I had thoroughly loved to just walk away from it. And so it does sound a little crazy, but, you know, it's one of those things that we can't plan or predict. And basically what happened is one afternoon I was lying on my sofa watching an updated doll study. And, you know, we know the doll studies from the 50s and the 60s, where they would ask beautiful children, both white and black, which doll do they want to play with and which one was prettiest and smartest and they wanted to be friends with. Well, back in the 50s and 60s, no surprise, every child, regardless of ethnicity, did not want to play with the black doll. And we get that, right? This is Jim Crow era segregation. We get it. Well, Anderson Cooper on CNN updated the doll study. And now this is about 2009. So I'm watching it again, half-heartedly paying any attention to it. And uh, they said, ask this beautiful dark little girl, they said, which doll do you want to play with? The black doll or the white doll? Now I'm sitting there again, it's 2009. And at that time we had 
celebrities on covers of magazines. Vanessa Williams had won Miss America. I mean, there were so many images of, of multicultural beauty that I was thinking she's gonna pick the black doll. Well, shockingly, she picked the white doll. But what really broke my heart is when she explained why she picked the white doll. And she said, because the black doll's skin was nasty. And she literally touched her own hand as to indicate that her hand was nasty too. And that right there broke my heart. Even, if, even today, when I think about it too long, it brings tears to my eyes because the thought that one child, one child would not know their beauty, their brilliance, their power, that's a loss not just to that child, but it's a loss to the greater society because there is one person in our society that doesn't know who they truly are. And basically from that day, the world of EPI was formed. I had been working with Walmart previously on doing a line of, of books for children and they had asked me to do a doll line and I had said, uh, no. <laughs> I said, not no once. I said, not no twice. Three times I told them no. But when I saw that study, I called them back and I said, I will do it. Even though I'll say, Dr. Waller, I had zero idea how to do it. I didn't even know where dolls were made from. Well, you know, one thing that is amazing too, is that not only were you able to create this idea and create the dolls, but you, you have a pretty impressive list of channels you sell through Walmart, Amazon, Macy's, Target, Walgreens. I'm sure you didn't start at that level. Talk to us a little bit about how you took your idea and then developed it. That's a great question. So I did take the idea uh, of wanting to do these dolls to represent beauty again and brilliance of all children. And I was a little fortunate in the fact that Walmart was already willing to help me because they had identified that this was something that they were lacking on their shelves. Now, it was not an easy journey, even having Walmart to help me because I still was a novice and I didn't know how to do it. Let me share one story with you uh, that gives you a sense of how much I didn't know. So I told Walmart, yes, I will do it. They were very happy and thrilled. And they said, we will help you. I'm like, yay! By helping, they meant at that time, we will give you a list of factories. Okay, my naivete, but I am a PhD in logistics and <laughs> supply chain. I just decided I'm going to call these factories. And so via email, I did. One of them met the criteria. I literally hopped on a plane, flew into China. I arrived there. I could not speak the language. I did not, could not read any signs whatsoever. Um, thank goodness, I being the only African-American there at the time, it was easy for the factory to identify me, thank God, because <laughs> I could still be wandering around the airport in Hong Kong. But then they came and they picked me up and they took me in this car and they were driving like 90 miles per hour, weaving in and out of traffic, flying up hills. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> and then it hit me. I can't even tell my family where I am. I can't call and say, hey, I'm at, you know, 15th and, and 20th Street, or I'm across the street from the McDonald's or whatever. I was in a foreign country. I couldn't read. And I didn't even know the people I was with. And they didn't really speak English. And I certainly could not speak Mandarin. The reality of my situation hit me, but that's how passionate I was about getting this doll done. And when I went there and I did find people who could speak English, they kept telling me, hey, you know what? We have a whole room full of dolls, doll faces or sculpts, which we call sculpts because they're like sculptures. 
why create something unique and different? Just pick one of these. This will work fine. People will buy whatever you pick. But I was adamant that it had to be something unique, authentic, representative, and beautiful. And so it took a while for me to convince these gentlemen at that time that they should listen to me, a woman who has no experience, <laughs> little to no connections in the doll industry, that they, with 20-some years experience, should listen to me, a total novice. But I believe, again, it was my such strong passion about why I was doing it that influenced them to give me a try. Once we did that, I mean, Matt, when you do a doll, you have a vision of how you want it to look. You work with uh, 3D sculpture and you tweak everything, the eyes, the nose, the lips, because you want everything just right. You pick out the hair texture. I did all of that. I picked out the fashion. I was thrilled about this doll. Then they shipped it to the US. Unbeknownst to me and to Walmart, who's my first customer, the doll's barrettes or braids fell apart in the, in the shipping, the transportation, the rocking back and forth on the boat. And we discovered at that time that the doll was bald. What's wrong with being bald? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> For you, it's perfect. For a doll, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little girl, a little girl, oh, not so Oh, much. no, that's terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. But anyway, we managed to fix that. And then we asked about other retailers. I think I was really driven by that little girl. I keep going back to her all the time because she propelled me to keep moving. And so once we were in Walmart and we fixed out all the kinks and the challenges and the problems, then um, Target was the next retailer. And so it's about going in and sharing with them why your product is unique and why your customer and your demographics not only want, but need and deserve this product. And then once you go there, then you just keep basically taking the same passion, vision, and belief to all the retailers. And then at some point there becomes some kind of like, like an organic movement that takes place because once a couple of the retailers see that you're at Walmart and Target and Amazon and Macy's, then they start to call you. It's really neat that Walmart did that and that they let you sell to other retailers, including their competitor Target. So I understand your passion for this. And, and Walmart somehow figured out there was an issue there. How did they figure it out? I think they figured it out from their consumers. Uh, the Walmart shopper was complaining. And I have to say, you're right. Walmart, not only do they allow me to sell to other competitors, but I have to go back previous. Because as I said, they asked me to do it three times and I said, no. I, and I kept saying to them, I'm a college professor, <laughs> right? I teach adults. <laughs> I teach MBAs and executives and PhD students. I know nothing about making no dolls. But they saw something in me so when, as life would have it, when three weeks later, I see the CNN updated dog study, it was like a perfect match. So when you're an entrepreneur, life's full of up, ups and downs, but being an entrepreneur, you really feel it probably like you felt when the dolls came to the United States bald. But if you're going to do something like this, it should definitely be something you're passionate about because of all of the challenges. So clearly one of the challenges you had was uh, the production and distribution of the dolls per se. Did you switch manufacturers at that point? Absolutely, switch manufacturers. But I will tell you, I had to also learn to be a tough businesswoman. 
And I didn't have to learn how to do that as the professor, right? Professor, it was intellectual, certainly, but it was also passionate. I mean, I had a passion for my students and I really had a passion for the research that I was doing. So you don't have to manage anyone per se, except yourself. Well, in that example, one of the other situations with the factory, they had shipped the dolls to the US. And at that time I was taking possession of them then shipping them on to Walmart. And the factory called me and said, well, the dolls are at the port, but it's gonna be more than what we told you. And they were increasing the price by like 25 to 30%. And it was clear to me that they were trying to take advantage of my naivete and newness in the business. And you gotta realize I'm a one woman shop. I'm not like my largest competitor, which you know has hundreds of thousands of employees. So they were saying, you need to pay this extra money or we're not gonna release your dolls. And I said to them very quickly, it was very interesting because I realized I was being manipulated. And I said, I tell you what, you will either release these dolls at the price that we have prepared, or you will be selling them at the dock because I'm not paying a penny more for them. It was very interesting because very quickly they changed their tune and like, oh, well, 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 you know, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But it was their attempt to take advantage of someone again, who didn't have connections. I didn't have like a big company behind me. And so they thought they could, but there's something also internal that tells you, no, you say no here. And there are other times that I make decisions where I say, well, okay, well, it's not what you expected, but you pay more and you say yes. So having that internal guidance and that strength and courage and persistence is very important. So calling on huge key accounts, obviously Walmart helped you get started, but then you had to call on Target. That, that's a huge account. So you were having to do everything. At that point, you were in key account sales. How did you prepare for that? And how did you go about doing that? I'm sure you learned a lot in that process as well. This is where being a professor did come in. I am used to speaking in front of large crowds, right? And talking to students and making sure the students understand what I'm trying to communicate. It was the same as I go into all the retailers, even to this day. When I'm talking to them, I'm thinking very much that they are my students, meaning it is my job and my responsibility for them to understand why this product is so important to their consumer base. It is my job to explain to them why this is going to reach revenue stream that they don't currently have. It is my job to explain to them why this is good for society overall. So that is where being a professor is good. And also you have to have a passion for what you're doing. It's exactly what you were just saying a few moments ago. If you are starting a business because you think it's gonna make you millions of dollars, that's the wrong reason. And unless something miraculous happens, you're gonna give up because money will not drive you to the finish point. Being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I was the first African-American to graduate with a PhD from the Ohio State University. That was not easy. I was also the first to get tenure at uh, Penn State University. That was not easy. And then coming and being a professor at um, University of Arkansas with an endowment and the responsibilities of that was also not easy. Being a mom <laughs> is not easy. All of those things are very challenging and hard. But the company that I've created by far is the most difficult for me. And if I had been doing it because I wanted to make X millions of dollars, or so, I would have stopped and come back and enjoy the joys of teaching because it's very hard being an entrepreneur. So over your, what, 18 years of since you've started this business, you've introduced lots of new dolls, new products. How do you come up with new products and how do you bring them to market? 
again, it goes back to the why. Why am I doing it? And so for me, it's realizing that I'm creating product for that little girl and little boy, because Lana dolls for boys, the little girl and little boy on the floor, so that when they're visualizing and imagining what they can become, I want them to be limitless thinkers. I want them to think the sky and beyond is the limit. So that guides what I do. And there's such a huge white space. There are very few products that are created solely for the multicultural child to recognize their true potential. So we have a, a big whiteboard in which to start. And I'm always starting by imagining, again, that little boy and little girl on the floor playing with their dolls. And when I'm talking about product development, I'm making sure that the product is authentic and that it is representative. And as I call it, that it's sacred. And what I mean by sacred is wherever they look and whatever aspect of that product they're looking at, it's a sacred reverence back to showing them the power and the beauty of who they are. And I understand that there are different price points and budgets for parents. So we have different lines and categories. We have our value line and we then have our, our other line. But the idea is that every child will have access to products. And then, of course, we have a large charity and donation where we're constantly giving dolls away as well. Wow, that's amazing. So clearly you do a lot with channels distribution. Um, how about brand development? I've seen you on television. You're featured all over the place. Do you outsource your marketing to a firm? How do you manage marketing? Because I know you, you know a lot about marketing. I know a lot about marketing. I'm laughing because I am still very much doing a great deal. We have a very, very small team. There's under 10 of us. I think there's five or six of us. That's how small our team is. Believe it or not, my sister just joined me. She used to work for a 550, Fortune 550 company. And she recently just left and came on board. And that has meant a tremendous shift. Her specialty is in marketing. And so she has been working with some people, her friends, et cetera, and have done a great deal of getting us tremendous exposure in media. Well, Lisa, what do you want to do beyond this? How would you like to see world of EPI evolve in the future? Well, I'm starting to see some of it now. Like for example, this Christmas, 2021, our dolls will be featured in a film that, that's going to be in Soul Santa. It's a movie coming to movie theaters near you in uh, November of this coming year. So I'd like to continue to see that. I want to see it to become a lifestyle brand where everywhere a child looks, they see their image and their beauty and their power reflected back to them. So that's when they get up in the morning, their comforter, their backpack when they're going to school, their notebook, their shower curtain, it's just everywhere they look, they have a loving reminder of who they are and what they can do and what they can create. So Lisa, a number of students listen to this podcast. Do you have any advice for them based on your experience? I do. What I would suggest is do what you love. That's going to drive you. If you don't love it, you're going to eventually leave it. I picked a majors that I love. And mine are kind of similar. They're all in the business area. But I started out doing statistics because I was always curious. And to me, statistics was, you know, what value or what person or what thing contributes to an effect on another variable. I love to teach. And so I loved communicating information to students. And then I wanted to get my PhD because being a member of, or being someone who loves mysteries, to me, doing research is all about a mystery. It's all about solving a mystery. It's like, okay, what is the impact on X? Well, these five variables could impact X. Which one of them do and which one doesn't? It's kind of like who done it, right? In a mystery movie. So I love that. So number one, follow your passion and your vision. Number two, 
appreciate and love those who surround you and encourage you. And also recognize that those who love you and encourage you may also want to protect you. And in their ability to protect you, they may tell you, you shouldn't do this. Don't do this. Stay where you are. Because when, again, as you pointed out, I was a successful professor. I had a guaranteed salary. I worked a few days a week. And so people who loved me wanted to protect me. And they said, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're going to walk away from this and go and do something that is completely unknown. I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, you do not know where your next check is coming from. At least initially, I didn't. So I walked away from colleagues. I walked away from the life that I'd known, which is being a professor, and walked into a totally unknown um, industry, but I had passion. So that's what led me. Uh, and then after that, when you still have the passion, always remember your why. Because if you don't remember why you're doing what you do, you'll get distracted and you'll get confused. And then you'll start listening to the other voices that will come in, which will tell you, for example, why are you making a new sculpt, a new piece of sculpture? Why are you doing that? That's the most expensive part of the doll. Just take one of the ones we already have in existence. Well, see, my why was to create something authentic and representative. So because of that, I could say no when they said, pick anything that we have on the shelf. So knowing your why is important. And then just sheer perseverance and continually educate yourself. It may be something that you think is totally irrelevant to what you're doing, but knowledge expands. And so whatever you're reading, I have found plays some role in my life. Well, it's a philo philosophical book or business book, or could even be a spiritual book. Whatever I'm reading, I find that somewhere in my life, it has an application. So constant learning. And education is important too. Well, Dr. Lisa Williams, thank you so much for joining us today. This is so impressive what you've accomplished. Congratulations. Thank you, man. It means a great deal coming from you, my former colleague. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.